I'm Cindy Levy, and this is the Barney's Podcast, the show that celebrates fashion, style, culture, but most of all, the personalities who create those things every single day. Phoebe Robinson is an all-around queen. She's the host of not one, but two must-listen podcasts, Two Dope Queens, which she hosts alongside Jessica Williams, and So Many White Guys. Two Dope Queens, by the way, was spun off into a series on HBO last year and is taping its second season soon. Phoebe's first collection of essays, You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain, was a New York Times bestseller. Her second book, Everything is Trash But It's Okay, was just published. It offers hilarious and profound takes on everything from personal debt to feminism to what to do when you meet your personal rock god. So I got this kind of like bodycon dress and I was like, this, I want Bono to see me at my most like fabulous self, you know? I felt very Carrie Bradshaw. I've known Phoebe for years, but I couldn't wait to sit down with her to talk about the important stuff and also the not so important stuff. What are you wearing today, Phoebe Robinson? This is, um, this black tank top is from Target's like sleepwear. <laughs> I like wear out <laughs> like pure trash. Um, <laughs> my jeans are from Zara. And then I'm wearing like platform sort of like, like kind of like uh, shoes from Aldo to get that height. Well, let the record show that you came on the New York City subway. So platforms on the subway. <laughs> Props to you for that. Thank I, you. I, if I have it right in your book, you call Zara Zarzar Binks. Yeah, Zarzar Binks. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing well today. And you're, you are, in general, a jeans, sneakers, yeah. converse kind of person, right? Yeah, maybe like a little suit if I'm feeling fancy. Uh-huh. Maybe like every once in a while I wear a dress. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you have to wear this spanks and like I'm small up top and bigger on bottom so I have to like pad it out I'm just like it's a whole thing but like jeans like always come through do you right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait where's your blazer from oh this is Gucci and it's oh um, excuse it's, me oh this is Gucci <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's an old favorite emphasis on old um, I but it. I like it because the the buttons are these oh, cute little cat faces that's cute and I do like a cat yeah. I like a cat theme <laughs> So it makes me feel chic and yet somehow also like my grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) So you're from Cleveland. Yes. And you've been doing stand-up for a long time. I saw a great clip of you when you were, I think, around 24 at the Gotham Comedy Club. That was maybe not even a year in. Oh, my God. So (laughs) what was that girl's dream from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think I didn't really know that I wanted to do stand-up until... I was like going on to 24 because a friend of mine, she wanted to take a stand up class. And I was like, all right, I'll take this dumb class, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's only six weeks. And I fell in love with it. Yeah. Like right away. What part of it? What did you fall in love with? I think my first joke that I ever wrote was about being catcalled and how I liked it. Um, and it was, I got, we were in this room with maybe like, it's like a half circle of like 10 chairs. And I just put my hand on the microphone and I like told my first joke and it got like a few chuckles. And I was like, this is kind of cool, right? <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, maybe I should like, you know, investigate this and see if this is something that I could keep doing. Mm-hmm. So that was July 
2008. And then in October 2008, I got laid off from my job. And I was like, maybe this is a sign from the universe. So the recession is what led you into this in a way. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to do these like temp jobs or whatever. And then just do stand up shows at night. Like I was going to like Staten Island and... But I never, like, foresaw, like, two dope queens or writing books or anything. I was just like, oh, I'll just kind of, like, do this. And maybe one day, if I'm lucky, I'll get, like, um, a late night set on, like, I think Letterman was still on at the time or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I was like, that can be, like, the... The dream. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. totally. Yeah. And Two Dope Queens, I know, started with your friend, the comedian Jessica Williams, Mm -hmm. partly because you guys felt like you weren't seeing a lot or hearing a lot of material that you really related to and you wanted to fill that gap. Absolutely. Like, she started out doing improv in L.A. and I did improv here. We both did UCB, but L.A., New York. Right. And obviously I was, like, the only person color on like my my class and she same for her and when we're in New York we're just kind of like we know like so many like amazing people like Michelle Buteau and Nori Davis and John Early like all these like really funny like women people color queer comics but we're like we never really see them like on you know late night or like getting the same opportunities as some of these like other guys are getting like these white guys are getting we're just kind of like well why don't we just have a show where we just sort of invite our friends on that we think are amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's really how Two Dope Queens became about. We just wanted to celebrate our friends. And you were very successful as a podcast and then became an HBO show. And yeah. it's really, you know, one of the interesting things about it is it's really a variety show. Like you've kind yes. of brought that format back. I've always loved that format. And I feel like people haven't necessarily figured out a way to make it current. And I'm not really sure how Jess and I figured out the formula. I think it's just like our friendship is the root of it. And Mm -hmm. then, I don't know, I feel like of the two of us, I'm the dorkier one. And so I think people relate to that. And like Jess is like kind of like always just being like, hey, now you're being ridiculous. You know, a lot of people have both sides within themselves. So they like really fully see themselves. And then I think we just have really lucked out by just having amazing comics who wanted to come on and do the show. So you wrote your first book a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. It became a New York Times bestseller. And Oprah became a fan. And then I hear she was calling you (laughs) and you weren't calling her back. What happened? So my book, You Can't Touch My Hair, came out two years ago. And I was very nervous because I was like, yes, I had the podcast, but I'm still was really relatively unknown. And so two days after it came out, my lit agent called Robert Gensler and he was like, hey, so Oprah has your book. And I was just so I was so confused. I was like, why would she have I talk about penis in here? Why would she (laughs) like it's one thing that your parents had to read it, but but that Oprah had to read it. Oprah doesn't deserve this. She's done so much for everyone. She shouldn't read my dumb book. Um, and he was like, she's just going to call you. And I was like, she has my number. It's just such a ridiculous sort of conversation yeah. where you're like, LOL. Like, you just don't even, I'm like, okay, sure. Oprah has my number, is going to call me, whatever. And um, yeah, I just kept missing her phone calls. I will say in my defense, she blocked her number. And at the time, I had like maybe 50000 in student loan debt. So I was like, I... I can't pick up the phone if I don't know this number. So you think it's a loan shark? Yes. Not Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. So I'm like, screw this. I'm just always, and I, I miss like three of her phone calls. And I was like, okay, this is getting 
ridiculous. Like, I have to, like, get on it. And Is so, she leaving voicemails? She eventually left a voicemail, and I listened to it. And it was just like, it's like, this is her voice that I've heard on TV mm-hmm. ever since I was like, I don't know, 10. This yeah. is her. And she's like, this is Oprah as in Winfrey, as if I wouldn't know <laughs> which Oprah it is. I'm like, there's only one Oprah. <laughs> Glad she cleared that yeah. up. That's super humble, though. Yeah. Very endearing. It was so cute. And she left the, the nicest voicemail. And then we got on the phone and chatted. And I was just like, you're everything I ever thought you were going to be. She was mm. just like really gracious and sweet and telling me how she related to my book. And I was just like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And my parents are very sort of like, they're from the Midwest. We're all from like Ohio. And they're very sort of like chill and modest. And my my dad in particular doesn't care about celebrities really. He's like, okay, you're talented, whatever, but who cares? But when I told him about Oprah and I played the voicemail, he was like, you've made it. Like he was so happy. He was so thrilled for me. And it was really, really cute. I hear your mom is especially hard to impress because all oh, yeah. she wants, there's one person, right? Viola Davis. That's it. She always always asked about Viola Davis. Have, and I'm you, like, have you met her yet? I haven't. So I went to Hollywood Reporter had a women in Hollywood thing, mm-hmm. I think. So I went to it and I was one table away from Viola. So I just texted them. Well, I'm one table away from Viola Davis. And my mom was like, where's the photographic evidence? <laughs> I was like, mom, going to be in the corner like, like freaking TMZ over here. And then she was like, well, did you go over and say anything to her? And I was like, no. What do I have to say to Viola? Like, what? <laughs> my mom really likes you. <laughs> so I want to talk a bit about this book because okay. it's fantastic. I've just finished it. It's Thank called you. Everything's Trash, But It's Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hilarious, incredibly well written. You have a gift and a knack for the genius parenthetical (laughs) (laughs) tangent that somehow becomes essential. Um, One of my favorite chapters in the book is called Feminism, I Was Rooting for You. We Were All Rooting for You, (laughs) which, first of all, is an awesome America's Next Top Model line (laughs) repurposed. So (laughs) where'd the line come from? And then and then talk a little bit about that chapter and, and how you see feminism needing to change. Okay, well, I am a humongous fan of America's Next Top Model. I've seen every single season, some multiple times. <laughs> and the, like, sort of Tyra, like, mama bear speech that she delivered to Tiffany was, like, you could really tell that she really believed in this woman. And Tiffany, at that point, had just kind of, like, given up. Like, the competition felt really hard to her. And, and Tyra was just kind of like, we all had your back. Like, mm-hmm. we all wanted you to go really far. You're the one that said no to yourself. Like, we didn't say no to you. Mm -hmm. And I really just like that philosophy in life. And so many times we just count ourselves out of stuff Mm -hmm. before anyone else can. And I was like, right on, Tyra. And then I think it's a complicated, I think everyone has a complicated relationship with feminism. And I think after the election, I know for me and for a lot of my friends who are women of color, we were kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, there's some ugly truths that we got to deal with Mm -hmm. and really talk about openly if we want feminism to progress the way that it should. You mean looking at the statistics and and realizing that women of color had overwhelmingly voted for Hillary Clinton, but white women, the majority of white women had voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, which I think was kind of, 
I don't know. I just didn't see that coming. One of the examples that you gave in the book that I found compelling and that I feel I've seen in in reality was that when you had posted something about Black Lives Matter, and I'm not sure when it was, but probably about the same time, Mm -hmm. 2016, that you did not see a lot of white women followers commenting, you know, right on, agree in in the comments. I'm feeling like we're in this together Mm -hmm. and like feminism isn't going to advance and protect all of us if it's not looking out for black women or for trans women or for queer women or for anyone who identifies with being a woman. And so when I saw the like the excitement that everyone had for the Women's March and I participated and I I was excited about it, too. I was just kind of like there wasn't this level of excitement for Black Lives Matter or for like even immigration stuff for a while didn't really start getting the traction that it has now. But Mm -hmm. for so many years, like people kind of didn't care. And so I'm just sort of like we got to we got to sort of focus up here and Mm -hmm. we can't just only pick and choose the issues that we want to back. There's that classic sign at the Women's March that said, okay, I'll see all you nice white ladies at the next Black Lives Matter March, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of my other favorite chapters in the book is called, I was a size 12 once for like 27 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, you talk about how you say that for about 20 of the 34 years you've been alive, your brain has been consumed with all the ways your body isn't good enough Mm -hmm. and that you're just starting to get past that. I still think the fashion industry is really behind in a lot of ways. I don't know. It was just bumming me out. Well, when you you write about this sort of photo shoot economy and, you know, I felt very implicated because, you know, I edited Glamour for years. I know we photographed you and Jessica because I was a huge fan of the podcast when I was there. And, you know, you talk about how at all photo shoots that you would go to, there wouldn't be clothes in your size or, you know, there'd be one thing that maybe kind of sort of fit and then they'd give you some like extra small spank situation that you had to put on in order to get into it. And, you know, I realized reading that, I'm sure some of that happened on my watch and they're really is no excuse for it. It's something that absolutely needs to change. Yeah, and I did, um, I remember when I had um, my movie Ibiza for Netflix. This was like the first movie I've ever done. And I remember I was like, oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta get an outfit for the premiere. And I was working with my stylist, Katya Sussman, who is brilliant and amazing and she always finds stuff in my size and she was like yeah so many people were like yeah we have stuff in a size six. So basically what I had to do was for the fitting, I gave her my credit card. I think I char- she charged like 10 grand worth of stuff for like all my press stuff. I had to try everything on, see what fit, and then go through the process and like return everything. Because people are like, oh, we don't have like an 8 or a 10. Mm. And I'm like, but you have to. Yeah. That's like a pretty average, like below average size. Right. I, I mean, the push to get samples made in a range of sizes yeah. is a real one, an important one, both for lending to, mm-hmm. you know, people who want to wear the clothes, you know, you among them, but also because then they can be photographed in yeah. magazines and other places where people do publicity so that you're not then you then you're not locked into using models who only wear a much below average size. Yeah. Which is bananas to begin with. Um is there a passage from that book that you'd 
like to read? Um, uh, this is a fun essay because I wrote about this guy who shamed my body. Oh, yeah. Eric. Yeah, Eric. Yeah. Uh, you got to tell us about Eric. Okay. So I was on Tinder at the behest of my mom. Wait, your mom wanted no, you to no, go no, on Tinder? No, no, sorry. Match.com. <laughs> yes. She doesn't, she doesn't know about Tinder. Mom. <laughs> yeah. No, Octavia's not hip. She was like, what's Tinder? Um, but Match.com, she was like very sweet. She's like, maybe you could find someone there. And so... I met this guy, Eric, and he's a teacher, really nice, uh, lived in Philadelphia at the time. I don't know where he lives now, but really cool. We, like, hit it off, and then we had a date, and we went back to my place, and (laughs) (laughs) I have sex. Mom, if you're listening, just fast forward about a minute. Yeah, and we we fooled around, and then, um, you know— some stuff happens, so I'll <laughs> read what happens. Eric began, you know, and then I began cautiously, uh-huh. There are exercises you could do to tone up your thighs. Nope! Just fucking nope! Y'all, this is the biggest nope I've done noped in my entire life. Bigger than a nope I feel when I see a grown-ass dude wearing Crocs with socks. Bigger than a nope when my iPhone goes from 40% to 12% all because I play the game two dots for approximately three and a half minutes. And bigger than the nope I scream when a pigeon drive-by pooped on my arm and friends told me that means good luck. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you talk about how there's old Phoebes and Mm -hmm. new Phoebes. Mm -hmm. And old Phoebes in that situation felt like crap. Yeah. But you would feel differently now. Yeah, I felt like crap and I sort of like didn't defend myself at all. And I just let him go on and on about it. He even like demonstrated, he got out of bed and demonstrated exercises I could do. No. Yeah, so my body could look better in his words. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was in my 20s and I was just like, now I wouldn't put up with some guy just trashing my body because he feels like I can. But I think all of us women... We're, we all have complicated relationships with our bodies and we are sort of, no matter how confident we may feel, we still do sort of value external feedback. And sometimes it can really sort of like gut you in a way and make you feel really bad about yourselves. And so that's really what happened in that situation. I felt so horrible and I let him stay and he like spent the night and it was like horrible. Like mm-hmm. and now we've been like, get your shit and get out. Mm-hmm. I'm awesome. Well, you say that we should be a lot more defiant. You use the word complicit, that Mm -hmm. by not speaking up, you felt you were a little bit complicit. Yeah, because I like by not defending myself, I was sort of kind of validating what he was saying. And then I was like, oh, I'm also guilty of not sort of using my privilege to like shed a light on this or like defend friends when I hear guys say like crappy things about women's bodies I just sort of would just be quiet Mm -hmm. and so then I really had to look at myself and go yeah Eric is like terrible too but also like I need to step it up and Mm -hmm. that was sort of like you know no one ever wants to tell themselves like oh I'm not doing as well as I should but clearly I wasn't Mm -hmm. and that we really need to be calling people Mm -hmm. on it whenever they give us those attitudes exactly Um, let's talk for a second about Sexual harassment in comedy, because it's been a big subject lately. Mm. You tell a story in the book about something that happened to you that I I found, you know, a really brutal incident. Um, Can you talk about that? You you call the guy Richard. You're very kindly protecting his identity. (laughs) Yeah, I I was pretty early on in stand up, maybe like, I don't know, two, three years, maybe four. And I was at this um, 
comedy party. And this comic comes to the party, Richard. He's he's farther along. It's not like he's Louis C.K. or anything like that. But, you know, he's farther along in his career than I was at the time. And um, he's like, well, what's your situation down there? And I, like, didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, what? He's like, you know, like, and he, like, gestures towards my crotch. And I was just kind of like, oh, no, no, no. We're not doing that. There's no, there's no, we're not. And I just sort of, like, was like, I'm not going to answer that. That's really inappropriate. Like, why would you say it to me? He was like, come on. It's not like we're on the same level. And it was just kind of like, oh, because I'm a newer comic. Wait, he literally said Mm -hmm. that? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, because I'm a newer comic, you think you could just sexually harass me and, like, ask me about my body parts? Like, it was just so disgusting. I mean, disgusting, offensive, and also baffling. Like, what what did he actually even mean? I think he just, like, wanted to know if I was, like, shaved or waxed or what. I don't even Uh, know, but it was just like, why would you ever ask that? And then you continue to see this guy around, right? Because he works in your field. Yeah, and then we did a show together. We're on the same show together, like maybe a a year or two later, and I just immediately remember that incident, and I felt like awful, and like, you know, everyone else is like coming into the green room, and everyone was like hugging, hey, hi, hi, how's it going? And, And I thought... Well, I have to hug him because if I don't, I don't want to make him feel weird Mm. that I hugged everyone but him. So I did. And I was like, this is disgusting. Like, why am I why do I feel this way? And why am I not just standing up for myself enough to be like, no, he was a creep and I don't need to be nice to him and I don't need to care about his feelings anymore. Um, But I think as women, we're conditioned to be like we can't upset them in right well (laughs) do you feel like let's say you ran into him this week would it be different with everything that's happening in the world Mm -hmm. and the way you know we're starting to see women call men in real positions of power out and after what you call the great depeening of 2017 (laughs) which might be my new favorite phrase to refer to the fallout of the me too movement yeah would it be different yeah i wouldn't talk to him Mm -hmm. at all i think what's happening now and i know for other people and for me I'm just kind of standing up for myself more and being like, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. I agree. Let's talk about good guys. You have a great thing going with Bono. I do. (laughs) And I was super excited to learn from your book that it actually started because of an episode that you and Jessica did on Two Dope Queens where you discussed the fact that he had been named a Glamour Man of the Year. Yeah. And this was a decision that we had made at Glamour when I was the editor there, and um, it was very controversial. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of hate mail. A lot of people thought it was lame that a rich white man had yeah. been named Man of the Year. And in retrospect, I do understand that argument. Yeah. Um, but you were standing up for the work that Bono <laughs> does in the world. Yeah. I didn't know, but a lot of the people on his staff, they listened to Two Dope Queens. So they just sort of like reached out to us and they were like, would you ever like want to do something? And I'm like, I will do everything. I think what you guys do is amazing. And so that really sort of started the relationship so Jessica and I got asked to do Bonnaroo. This is 2017, so last year. And we got invited to a red charity dinner. And I was like, Jess, 
it's, it's all happening, Jess. I got to get an outfit for this event. And she was like, oh, my God. And I was like, of course, like, didn't have that much money. So I got this dress from, like, BB. But I, I like to call it Bebe to, like, be cool. And people are like, no, bitch, it's BB. <laughs> and so I got this kind of, like, bodycon dress. And I was like, this, I want Bottom to see me at my most, like, fabulous self, you know? I felt very Carrie Bradshaw. We show up to his dinner. Not only is he not there, um, but it's like sunken. It's like a muddy grass. And like everyone's just wearing like shorts and like appropriate music festival gear. <laughs> and I'm in like my stilettos, like tiptoeing across the grass. And I'm like, oh, you are such a dork. You are such a dork, Phoebe. And then... Um, my friend Sean Louis, she is uh she used to be like a talent coordinator for you two like many moons ago. And she was like, I've been talking to Bono and um I told him that you wanted to meet him and that you like dressed up for him and I was like, No <laughs> I'm supposed to be cool here. <laughs> And then it's, like, the moment, like, I see Bono, like, come out of his trailer. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm like, I'm so scared. I want to, like, run away. And then he's, like, making his way, talking to everyone. It's sort of like he's just, like, a politician, just, like, charming everyone. It was, like, really cool. And then he gets to me, and he just, like, gives me the biggest hug. And he's like, I am so happy to be meeting you. Thank you so much for, like, talking about my charities on your podcast. And I was just like, you're so nice. Holy, <laughs> I was like freaking out. But it wasn't disappointing. No, it was like the best. Yeah. And I'm like, this is how all celebs should be. Yeah, PS yeah. world. Be more like Bono. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Phoebe, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I, I swear, interviewing you on a podcast is sort of like inviting Julia Child Stop. over for dinner and then serving her macaroni and cheese. So thanks for- You were so great. <laughs> thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having we me. We loved having you. You can listen to Phoebe Robinson's podcasts, Two Dope Queens and So Many White Guys, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch her Two Dope Queens specials on HBO, and you can buy her latest book, Everything is Trash, But It's Okay, in stores now. The Barneys Podcast is produced by Barneys and Transmitter Media. Our associate producer is Oluwakemi Aladasui. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the show. It helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. First up, I have, excuse me, an inc- I had a green juice this morning, and I feel like it wants to get out. It's like, <laughs> you made me drink lawn in a bowl, and I don't want this. 